folks, welcome to a podcast about Catholic things. This is Eric, the Ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... Dan, the Ambassador of Nonsense. Welcome, everyone. This is episode 101 of a podcast about Catholic things. And honestly, I, I think this is probably the most important subject we've ever covered. And, you know, it's like... We haven't necessarily been dancing around it, but there have been theories out there about Pope Francis for, you know, five or six years now that he's not really the Pope. There was some irregularities in his election. Also, there were some, we're in a situation that's never existed before. That's, that much is obvious, but most people for the past five years have not given voice to those people who would say this is an anti-pope mm-hmm. and in the and past the couple topic. yeah yeah and in the past couple weeks even the ewtn crowd it's not like they're starting to listen or even uh even c- contemplating that this might be the case but they're but they're, they're allowing to people respond. to make their argument yeah they're, yeah. they're actually talking about it now. They're talking about why he isn't an anti-pope, which I think is a dumb position to take. But it's EWTN, and they're controlled by the bishops. I mean, they're if I understand this stuff right, they're, they serve at the pleasure of the bishops. The bishops can take away their whatever you call it, being able to call themselves Catholic. You know, a Catholic radio station... Yes. puts themselves under the control of a bishop. So, you know, that's why um and and I know you and I had even a little bit of disagreement about how much attention we should pay for this, but that's part of why we chose the name that we chose for our podcast. Yeah. Um it's a podcast about Catholic things, but we don't identify ourselves within the name of the podcast as Catholic even though we're both a couple of Catholic guys trying to raise Catholic families and so forth. Right. Um, because we didn't want to put ourselves in a position where in order to continue to operate as we do, we have to operate on, you know, with some kind of permission from the bishop or something like that. Yeah, because we're probably going to criticize the bishops. Honk some and, bishops off. You know. <laughs> if, if they would ever, I mean... <laughs> If we would ever not be that anyone, yeah, to us. not that any of them would have ever heard of us, but I would never change that part of what we do. So, um, but so the question of Pope Francis's legitimacy is what we're going to talk about, and I, I don't think we're going to come to any conclusion. Well, I know we're not going to come to any conclusions because we're not we're not the cardinals, so we can't. Yeah. You know, it's impossible. <laughs> But um, the thing is, it's been so ignored by so many people, and there's a reason we have to have this discussion eventually. And I think most podcasters are ignoring this reason, and not just radio shows, uh, Catholic writers, everyone. And I think probably Timothy Gordon came closest to articulating why this is important and it's but even he felt short a little bit but the thing is when we 
when we talk about the Catholic faith, there's a whole culture there. Uh, no matter where you go in the world, there are certain things that are Catholic, like, you know, First Communion parties, say. And then there are arguments for Catholicism that don't necessarily involve Catholicism, like the arguments for the real presence of the Eucharist. And I could argue for the real presence of the Eucharist. And I know all of the Protestant arguments against it, and I've I, they've never really been strong enough to even make me want to hear them. But I know them. I know what they are. Mm-hmm. And I have no problem with them. But really, the real reason that I believe in the real presence is because that's what the Catholic Church says and because I'm Catholic. And so I have to have an argument for being Catholic. And... That's really the most important argument. And is, you know, if you're going to believe in something, you should, you should have a way to prove yourself wrong. I mean, if you believe in something and there's no way to prove yourself wrong, well, then you're just, that's just blind faith. It's not really based on intellect at all. It's not based on any kind of logical argument. It's just, that's what I believe because that's what I believe. And I've, I've never been one to do that. So there's an argument to be made for Catholicism. And to me, my argument has always been that if it's really going to be God's church, then it can't change. And the same thing that Jesus Christ told the apostles 2,000 years ago are still true today, and they'll always be true, and they won't ever change. <clears throat> And when people bring up, well, you got these terrible bishops, I say, well, so what? The, yeah. the church still teaches. Hey, you know what? My argument is still true. The first thing that the church ever taught is that we're sinners. Yeah. And then you've got Judas, who was a bishop, who mm-hmm. betrayed Christ, and who One we assume 12. is in hell. Um, not Well, Francis doesn't assume he's in hell, but... Well, yeah, because Francis assumes there is no hell. Most Catholics do. Um, and when they point to bad popes, well, Peter had his own little set of problems, you know, but I can say, well, look, yeah, it's a bad pope. So what? Um, but the teachings of the church didn't change. So I'm, so what? So you got bad popes. You still got a, a, a straight line of teaching tradition that didn't vary at all according to the culture. Well, if Pope Francis is Pope, my argument suddenly to be true. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. It if, has to if, be. If you accept, if, if you start with the premise that he's Pope, then that presents a problem for your argument because he's he's uh, skating awfully close to that line of changing things, right? Changing core things, the teachings, not not just shaking up tradition and yeah. praxis and how we do things. And he hasn't necessarily done it yet. I actually. That's part of the discussion. I don't know if he's done it yet. And yeah, I mean, he's certainly I'm, said I'm not some a, things, and we'll get into it. But I, I'm not a, uh, a a canon lawyer or anything. I don't I don't know. But a lot of what he says, you just you there's no denying it. It's heresy. He's been teaching heresy. There's there's no getting around that. And he's been writing down heresy. There's no getting around that. Right. Um. 
but there are a couple legal questions that that we have to talk about. But if you're going to say Pope Francis is the Pope, then you have to address these other things. You have to show why he's still Pope, even though he's a heretic, which I don't know. What I mean, a heretic, uh, the actual definition of a heretic is someone who, if I understand it right, has been told the truth by the church and refuses to adhere to the truth. It, right. it continues to teach error. Right. Well, that would be you know a formal heretic that that you know that uh, they understand what the church teaches and formally um, will to teach otherwise. That's to distinguish between a material heretic, which is somebody who believes something that is contrary to the church's teaching, but they don't necessarily know that it is contrary to the church's teaching. Um, and it's, so if, it's easy for somebody to be a material heretic without being a formal heretic. Right. So if you, but if you're a Pope, I mean, the authority in the church starts with the Pope. If you are the Pope and you believe something heretical, who is there to point you right. in the right direction? Who can correct Jesus, that? So said, I don't, this rock. I don't know if you can be named an actual heretic yeah. until after you're dead. If you're yeah, the Pope. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, it's like a heretic or even like Timothy Gordon says, a, uh, an anti-Pope. It's kind of like, um, kind of like a quote. Um, so, you know, dad used to do this genealogy stuff and he ran around and, and talked to a bunch of people, collected all these stories and information. And he yeah. had all this stuff written up in these forms that he kind of made up, um, that were, uh, you know, if he had actually talked to genealogists, he would have found out that these forms already exist and he didn't have to make them up. He could have just yeah, bought but, one and made a bunch of copies. But, but Dan you know reinvents the wheel. Do everything no himself. matter what he does, he's got to, oh, look what I did. So, well, those yeah. exist, but, and it shows that it was a good idea, but yeah, it's just the way Dan is. But, um, so he's got all this stuff. And, and one of the things he has is, is for each family, he's got a sheet. And then for each of the individuals in that family, like either each of the children, he's got their own sheet as much as he can with information about them, who they married, any kids they had, and so on. So he, he tried to be kind of scalable in this. Well, there's one of the sheets that, um, Aunt Berta wrote in a quote. This is, this woman is like one of Aunt Berta's aunts. And she, she wrote this okay. quote. She said, and, and you can tell it's Aunt Berta's handwriting. It just says, she used to say, you're never an old maid till you die an old maid. Then you was an old maid. That's pretty And good. that's kind of like what we're talking about with popes. That, yeah. you, you know, you're, you're not an anti-pope. You're not a heretic until you no longer as pope are declared as such by the church. And then you were an anti-pope. So it's, it's kind of like, You've got to be careful as a Catholic not to uh, presume to say that a, a an ostensibly sitting pope is an anti-pope. It's only you wait and then he was an anti-pope. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's as long as the rest of the church recognizes him as pope, then that's how we have to treat his authority. Uh, both his uh, authority as in... Being able to to say you can or can't say the traditional Latin Mass and 
somewhat his teaching authority. Now, this is right. this is where we start to run into problems because, and I guess hey, let me, here's how I let me offer go ahead. my my approach to that because you know one of my kids asked me that you know it's, he, it, we were talking about um, mass and the fact that um, on certain holy days you can't double dip like you can't double dip Christmas if Christmas comes on Saturday you got to go to a Christmas mass for Saturday or a Saturday mass for Christmas or whatever could be Friday and you know the the midnight whatever but you got to go to the mass for Christmas and then you also have to go to a mass for the Sunday okay you can't double dip okay and my son was saying that seems like one of those things that's like he he was having trouble expressing the words he says like technical but not enforced or something like that and and what he was getting at was he was think he was trying to say that sounds like one of those things that the church is saying but that god doesn't you know it wouldn't it doesn't really offend god okay. and for some reason he had you know reached adulthood without ever learning that that's what the nature of the church's authority is the church had you know jesus said what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. When the church makes that rule, if you know about that rule and violate it, you are by that very fact committing a mortal sin for skipping mass on a required day. Um, yeah. Well, then he brought up, well, but then what about things like, you know, your objection to say Pope Francis's, I don't teaching say on, 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 Capital punishment. Whatever. Capital punishment or something like that. Whatever it is. I said, well, here's here's the way to approach that. When you have something like that that's a teaching, it's not a it's not a practice. Uh, yeah. And even when it comes to practice, the church can say you have to do it this way. You can't do it this way. You may do it this way. You can disagree with the, the, uh, the value, the prudential um, – you know the exercise of prudence in, involved in that decision by the church, and think that they're making a bad decision. But you still have to to abide by the decisions. But when it comes to a teaching, and you've got something that the church has taught, you know, for a long time, uh, traditionally, and you understand that in a certain way, that it it's kind of not just that they've taught this, but they've meant a certain thing by it traditionally and then somebody a council a pope whoever comes along with something new within your lifetime that looks like what they mean contradicts what it looked like the church meant traditionally well the way i say for addressing that is to say all right i'm not smart enough to discern quite what's going on here so i am going to hold fast to what the church said traditionally and what I believe the church has meant traditionally and leave it to history and to the future of the church to figure out how this new thing actually means the same as the old thing. You know what now, this and, now, is commonly called? The, what's that? <laughs> a hermeneutic of continuity. Oh, that's right. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it might not, it might be that you can't intellectually resolve it in your lifetime. And yeah. it's possible that once in a while, the way it gets resolved is, oh, that was a heretical pope. 
or that was a heretical council or something yeah. like that because those have happened. Yeah. And and then um, you oh, okay, well, that's how the church resolved it then. But you wait historically. You hold to the tradition and you wait for the new stuff to get ironed out. Right. Um, I would... I would add a little bit to that, and I I kind of think of it as in, um, well, as I was saying, the argument that the church never errs, and if it never errs, that means it can't change, because mm-hmm. if it changes, that means it was either in error before, or it's in error now. So, if you think of a, uh, a corporation who has... Or, or even a city that has a number of laws and you look at the laws and you say, um, you look at a couple things. If there's a mm-hmm. charter in the city, you have to question how much authority does this charter or does this, this, this pronouncement by a mayor or something like that, how much authority does it have? If it doesn't have authority, then you really, you might have to pay attention to it. But you don't have to consider to be, that to be the law. And if the Pope uh, gives us an apostolic exhortation, the question there is: how, What kind of teeth does this thing have? Is this a is this something oh. I'm and that I'm obliged to listen to and believe? Right. So right, right now I'm talking about uh, Amoris Laetitia, where he. Yeah. He says stuff in there There's, that it's like, okay, wait a minute, this, this, this goes against the, to, of the church. Yeah. So, so the question there is, how binding is this document? And the other thing is, and this goes back to the hermeneutic continuity, can I interpret this in a way that fits in the what I know to be the truth? If I can, then that's the way I have to do it by right. by Catholic. Uh, doctrine they, that's how you interpret everything you right. interpret so that it does fit within the framework of what we already know to be true if it doesn't fit within that then again how how binding is it the Pope can only is only infallible when he teaches from the chair of Peter Yeah. so if he's yeah, teaching we- from the chair of Peter can we take those exact words? I don't care what he means, and I don't care what the bishops think, because I never cared what the bishops think, because the bishops, <laughs> there's a lot of evil bishops. Yeah, they, they but stopped thinking a long time ago. Can we take the actual words, uh, and sometimes there are tra- translation problems, and fit them in with what we absolutely know to be true? If we can't, and if the document is somehow binding. It's not that we have to well, answer it now, but we no. do actually have to look at the, okay, well, then this has to be explained. You can't just it, ignore yeah. this. It becomes a concern. But but in terms of, of your development of faith, your development of spirituality, relationship with God and relationship with the truth and so on and so forth, you, you don't let it disturb what you know from tradition. Right. Uh, you, you, you go with the assumption that, all right, I'm not smart enough to see how this thing means what I already know to be true, but somehow it does. I'm gonna, I'll keep working on it. And eventually it, it may be that I never figure it out and I die without knowing it. And the church, you know, three generations later figures it out 
or whatever, but you don't ever give up the tradition and what the church has meant in her tradition for something new. Right. And that's, I guess that, what I'm saying is that is the argument. That's, that's why I can still remain Catholic. If, right. If I, uh, if Pope Francis is the real Pope and if these things that he's saying, well, I, I already know these things that he's saying and these things that he's writing do not fit in the Catholic framework. They just don't. They're, yeah, they're wrong. They're, just... they're heretical. <laughs> I mean, um, and if those things have the kind of teeth that, uh, magisterial teaching has, mm-hmm. well, then I, I can't be Catholic anymore. So there's gotta right. be an answer for this. And, a, a, you know, the, the EWTN crowd is ignoring that as some of the other more traditional podcasters are pointing out. It's like, you can't just, you can't just say, no, he's the real Pope. And then that's it. If he's yeah. the real Pope, then explain this. Right. And of course the EWTN crowd can't explain it because they're not bishops, but they can actually, they can admit that there's a problem here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's stupid to just, to Pretend just like it's not, yeah, yeah. like we don't it's see it. Like, uh, it's kind of like Protestants who, who, who look at the, uh, the Eucharistic sermon in John six and say, well, yeah, I just don't think that that, you know, I, I don't see the, the Catholic view of the Eucharist in that. It's like, hold on a minute. You're to say that and leave it at that. You're just being anti-intellectual. There's a lot there that if yeah. you're going to say doesn't mean the Catholic Eucharist, then it calls for explanation. Right. And and this well, is the I've, same way with with this with this particular pope especially. Yeah. And also it seems stupid to ignore all the irregularities here. You know, and they these I kind of understand the pope explainers. I know where they're coming from because you remember I mean when I first became interested in in the church and uh in what popes were doing was of course John Paul II. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a teenager, and somebody would come up and say, "Oh, Pope John Paul II said this," and I would think that don't sound right because that's yeah. not Catholic. And so I'd go look <laughs> it up, and I'd say, "Well, he didn't say that. You're just either you're exaggerating, or you're taking it out of context, or you're just flat out lying." Mm-hmm. And I got used to doing that to the point where. Uh, People would claim something, and I wouldn't even go look it up. I know that so they're lying because <laughs> because the Pope can't say that. And it's my faith in the church that allowed me to just say, no, you're wrong, and mm-hmm. rest in that. I didn't have to yeah. go look it up. So when they started doing it with uh, Pope Francis, I would just say, no, you're wrong. He didn't say that. But yeah. every now and then I would look it up and I, oh my gosh, oh, he that? did say that. So Pope, Pope Francis is challenging you to dig a little bit deeper uh, in your mm-hmm. understanding of how that works. <laughs> yeah, you, ha- you have to actually look at this stuff. And, you know, over the years we've had some pretty startling, uh, aside from the, the things he said, mm-hmm. we've had some pretty startling uh Documents coming from him. Um, for example, Amoris Laetitia. I don't understand 
exactly what that is. It's an exhortation. What does that mean? Yeah. Are we required to believe this? He's exhorting us. Uh, okay, well, that doesn't, that doesn't quite sound like a teaching definition, definitive document. Um, on the one hand, sound like a constitution. He's commanding people to sin by distributing the Eucharist to people who are living in sin. And he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's inviting those people into a much deeper sin than they're already in. And he's also indicating that those people are not in sin, which is heresy. Right. So, uh, what kind of teeth does this document have? And I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer with this stuff. And I know that the people who are in power in the church right now can't be trusted to tell us this. You know? Yeah. Even yeah, if that's... Pope Francis dies tomorrow, we cannot rely on the current round of bishops to resolve these problems. We have to that's wait. And it's it stinks. Because I mean, you know, you and I have the oh, what's the the word I don't know, or the constitution to weather this yeah but think about our kids and then maybe even our grandkids the the ones who are serious catholics okay yeah um what do they make of this how do they weather it would they will they have the same sort of psychological constitution that allows them to continue to cling to the church or is this kind of stuff going to be what ends up pushing them outside of the church entirely Especially when you take something else into, I mean, we raise them, teaching them this, and then, and this has happened with several people that I know, they look at the bishops, and you try to explain that away and say, yeah, bishops are evil men sometimes, and there's nothing, and then now they look at the Pope, and they, and, and so you have to say the same thing. And it's, you also got to understand that they, as young adults in the 21st century, who are being tempted at every level from every direction, from all kinds of sin. I mean, it's, it's human to want to engage in those sins. And if mm-hmm. there's a way to say, hey, I can because... Obviously, this Catholic stuff is not true. Otherwise, oh, there wouldn't well, then, be these contradictions. Yeah. Then they'll and do it's, that. it's much easier for them to fall out of the church. Right. When you combine just the normal temptations with the fact that we have such a rotten pope. Well, you know, but then there's the other path, too. When, when, um, when I first got married, and, and my wife is a convert, so she was... Um, Confirmed the Sunday before Pentecost, um, which then in, no, she was confirmed on Pentecost Sunday, a week before we got married. And then she now being a Catholic, um, would meet other people, other, you know, women, especially, you know, mainly talk to women who were also Catholic and, and, you know, she'd be kind of proud. Yeah, I'm Catholic. You know, yeah. And, uh, but you know, they would get into discussions about this and that. And she, she found out, and I don't know how these discussions got around to this because, you know, it's not like you just kind of bring this up over the water cooler, but she was finding 
um, more and more these, you know, women who she thought now there would be some sort of common, um, I, I don't know, like a, a, uh, a sort of commonality here, a, a, a basis for, you know, understanding life and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, the subject of contraception. Now, she was wholly on board with this, but what she kept running into were women who not only weren't on board with it, but believed the church no longer taught it. And here's what what was the, the really weird thing for her. She knew that officially in its texts, the church still taught against contraception. But all these women that she would meet didn't believe the church still taught that. And so she came to the sort of crisis of faith of what kind of church is this that the church in reality, in, in its soul, in its day-to-day life, doesn't even convey to the normal member its own official teachings. Yeah. And now there was a, a certain priest who just happened to be in the right time at the right place when we were down in Georgia, um, who, who actually considered that exact point, especially with regards to contraception to be the single biggest problem in the church The you know, the, the lack yeah. of willingness on the part of priests and bishops to speak up about it. Um, and, and he gave us a private audience for a couple of hours. He was very generous with his time that completely saved her faith because it was still kind of like a young faith and everything. Sure. Um, but you know, it's, it's kind of like that. It's like, okay, wait a minute. On the one hand, I could just say, well, obviously the church doesn't believe this. I can go behave however I want or, well, the church claimed to believe this, but clearly it has no gone knows. off the rails. I got to go find another church in order to hold on to my beliefs about this stuff. Yeah. Both sides are dangers. Yeah. And now it's like, well, the church used to teach this, but see, Pope Francis, he says something else here. Right. He's saying something right. different entirely. So how could this really, yeah, it, it, it causes so much confusion. And when... You know, I never even... I still haven't read Amoris Laetitia. I haven't either. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. And it, it's because, number one, I don't know how much teaching authority it has. Number two, I already know that it's problematic. And I don't really know what to do about it until the church resolves this whole Francis question. And <laughs> I know that's not going to be for a while. Is is Francis guaranteeing? I you know let's let's assume that all the rest of the popes throughout the history of the world are at least somewhat truly holy men. Is 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 Francis just plain guaranteeing that no pope in the future is ever going to take the name Francis again? I guess he is. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine taking that name? I mean, actually, you know why he said that? Saint, they're Saint Francis. He said that, though. Oh, he said what? Apparently, there was an interview with someone, and he said he wanted to take a name that no one would ever take in the future. Something of that nature. I guess that's a way to do that. Take a name and ruin it. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. I I never knew that he said that. 
I don't know exactly what the wording was, but he yeah, indicated that lines. he knows he's the one and only person who will take the name Francis. The singular Francis. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I don't, I don't, I just, what I honestly think is I don't think he's the real Pope, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't change his authority right now while he's alive and while I'm alive. Yeah. There's, there's no, whether you think it's going to event, the, the way I see it is, um, you know, the church will eventually figure out that he was not the real Pope. But until then, we have to act, every single member of the church has to act as though he is the real Pope. And just That's, speaking you know, of which, one of the, uh, one of the arguments is that, uh, Francis is not the Pope. Pope Benedict is still the Pope. Neither of them know it the same way a married couple who, uh, isn't validly married don't know that they're not validly married because maybe of something that happened in the past. But my argument there is, okay, but they still have to pretend that they are still married. And everybody else has to treat them as though they're married. Right. So if that's the case, it doesn't really change how we react to things. That doesn't uh, give us permission to go join the SSPX. We right. still have to treat him as Pope and... uh obey him the way we would a pope right right now you know are, are, uh, do we want to get into any of the like specific arguments about it i i mean we can i i don't but i didn't know whether you intended that or not but i did um, not i didn't line up any of them to because some of them sound like i mean they sound like dumb. semantics yeah some yeah. of them and it's like the, you know, the moonus and all this, and it's like, well, I, I mean... Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a red herring. Um, I, you know, I, I, the thing is, like, I, I read the... I, I, he only did it as a video, so I read the summary of um, Patrick Coffin's thing, and yeah. he at least did a service of sort of lining up, like, the, the specific set of, of arguments. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, most of them, it's like, okay, I, I can see sort of right away why I don't need to pay attention to that. But what's interesting is that um, there's two uh, styles of argument. The, the one kind of argument uh, or evidence or whatever you want to call it is evidence not related to Pope Francis, but related to Benedict indicating that he's still the Pope. Well, if he's still the Pope, mm -hmm. then Francis can't be. Okay, so that's like one kind of argument. And then the other kind relates to Pope Francis himself and maybe the manner of his election and so on and so forth, showing mm -hmm. that he's not a Pope. The The kinds that apply directly to Francis um, would hold whether or not Benedict is still Pope as well. Even if, like, let's say Benedict's resignation was fully valid. Yeah. And the Francis... Uh, arguments held water, then that would that would mean that the chair of Peter's really empty. So um, I don't know why I brought that up. Oh, but if you take the arguments about Pope Benedict being still the Pope, um, it seems to me that all of the arguments about him being the Pope still fall under the category of evidence that says he's still the Pope 
and he knows it, at least in Patrick Coffin's summary of the evidences. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's kind of, it's like, okay, what is the model that, that you're really proposing? Is it the couple whose marriage is null and they don't know it? Uh, or is it the couple whose marriage is, you know, like they conspired to, to get married, even though they knew they can't, it's like, well, you know, we, we know we're cousins and so our marriage can't be valid, but we're going to hide that fact and get married anyway, like that. Or, you know, what, yeah. what is the real model? It's kind of hard to, kind of hard to place because the different kinds of evidences point to different examples of yeah. uh, who knows what and who's aware of what. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's, um, it's relevant in whether or not, um, it's relevant as to how we came to call him Pope, but not really relevant in whether or not he is the Pope. Right. I mean, no matter what happened, and, and I did not, okay, the whole, uh, argument about the election of Pope Francis and the Sant Gala Mafia. I, I see some of this stuff I didn't know. I did not know that Pope John Paul II had uh, made rules concerning conspiring to get someone into the papacy. I didn't know that. Um, and to me, to me, if that's the truth, that would be the strongest argument. But it seems, yeah, it seems kind of odd to me that as the bishops prepare to elect a new pope. What are you saying? None of them, none of them talk to each other outside the conclave. That that seems that seems impossible. They must they must conspire yeah. in to a degree. They'd have to. And but but you know the the conspiring that I think he's talking about is a specific. Um, like a tit for tat kind of expire, ex, uh, conspiring, like in exchange for votes. If yeah. I help, I'm going to do this for you. Okay. That kind of thing. I think that's really what he's talking about. I don't think he's talking about, or it, you know, it could be bishops too. Uh, okay, wait a minute. If I can get you to vote for my guy for pope, then when it comes to this matter, I'll support you in this, in yeah. this synod or something like that. Those kinds of things too would be the kinds of conspiring that were outlawed by this constitution. Yeah. Any anything that's that's overt like that um any any sort of planning uh that involves let's get together and figure out how we can make this guy become our next pope. Anything that falls into that line of of activity. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Would would run afoul of I think this constitution and and the rules um, that it was setting up, and so I think this the Sankt Gallen Mafia. It sounds like they really did engage in that kind of activity. Yeah, and you know, and it it sounds like to do so they would have incurred a you know a uh, excommunication. Well, what does it mean if if you know a handful of our cardinals are actually excommunicated? Um, and then excommunicated cardinals are voting for a pope. Um, you know, I, that kind of opens a problem because it's like, okay, from here on in, and then that pope elects more bishops, 
or yeah. selects more or bishops, selects, yeah, and then cardinals. those bishops elect the next pope. We've got this weird line where it's like nobody's a real bishop and nobody's a real pope. Yeah, and that <laughs> that's not the case. Well, that he'd be a real be bishop. He just wouldn't, you know. Well, that and see, that's that's the question I was wondering. So, I I would like to go back into history if I ever get time and, and dig into some of these uh, anti popes of the past to find out uh, things like um, during their their ostensible term as pope, um, did they you know canonize saints? Things like that, yeah. So, and then if they are then subsequently declared an anti-pope, what happens to that canonization? Does, do you just accept it and move forward? Or do you say, nope, we got to go back, re, you know, roll it back. And then the next pope needs to decide whether to let it hold or not. How does that kind of stuff get resolved then? Right. Um, now I could see canonization specifically not being that big a deal because it wasn't, I think it wasn't until after the Age of Martyrs that, that a real process sort of came into play. And I think the, the reason the process came into play is, you know, when you're martyred, when you're killed for the faith, it's kind of pretty obvious and straightforward. Yeah, you get yeah. treated as a saint, you're listed, you're in heaven, we don't have to wonder about it. But when people were starting to be honored as saints who had not been uh, killed for the faith... Well, then it's like, okay, we need to have some other way of being sure. So we'll start a process, and the process will involve an investigation by the church, by whatever competent authorities. We'll have, you know, somebody who's supposed to act as a devil's advocate to, uh, to try to dig up dirt on the person and so forth so that we could be absolutely sure. So I could, you know, I know that there was a process by which the church arrived at its current process for canonizing saints yeah um and so i could see where all right if the whole church accepted this person as a saint anyway even though the pope under whose whose reign he was canonized turned out to be an anti-pope maybe we still just continue to accept that person as a saint you know i don't know yeah. but I, I could see that but then other things like like um you know, like what this, about this when that pope teaches something, the, the yeah. Cus, cus, you know, uh, custodianus custodes. Yeah, traditionus yeah. custodes. Okay, if if he's declared to be an anti-pope, does that immediately release all bishops back to the rule of uh, Samorum Pontificum? Yeah, would you know on that particular subject? And then what about his encyclicals, like uh, the uh, Fratelli Tutti? Oh right, I mean that one's. I, That's another you know, problematic I, one for me. Right, I don't know and, what and other people are is, saying about it, but <laughs> you know the thing is, I tried to. Again, I don't have a whole lot of time to read, so since I'm driving most of the time, I look for podcasts about a subject and listen to them, and then if 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 I if it's worthwhile, then I can go back and look up things that were referenced. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for podcasts concerning that. Right. I really couldn't find many. Most of huh. them were from, I guess they were very liberal podcasts who were talking about how great it was. And I thought, this is nonsense. Then I finally found our podcast about it. That turned up in the 
search results, I re-listened to that, and now I remember how problematic it really was. But uh-huh. at the same time, I mean, this is a this is an encyclical. This is what we would categorize as magisterial teaching, if I understand these things right. And there are errors in it, kind of. Mm-hmm. Right. For example, if I were to decree that all flying penguins are the work of the devil. Mm-hmm. Well, um, can you say that's an error? I mean, there, there aren't any flying penguins. So where did, where is the error in that? Oh, right. And Pope Francis in that encyclical, he, he answers objections that were never made. Mm-hmm. And he talks about systems that don't exist. Uh, he talks about capitalism in a way, but that doesn't the, represent capitalism, right? Yeah. So he's he's objecting to capitalism, but not real capitalism or not real free market. He's just objecting to what he thinks capitalists think. Yeah, and it's like so. Okay, where's the error here? With these flying <laughs> penguins everywhere, I can condemn them. But am I really condemning anything since right. flying penguins since don't really that, exist? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like all those, like, and, and, you know, uh, Chesterton, you know, was, was very good at recognizing this. Um, but the, you know, the idea of like all the people that, that claim to object to the church and it's like, well, nobody actually objects to the church, but there's a whole lot of people who object to what they think the church is. Yeah. And yeah, it's and like that's, Pope Francis is embodying that from the inside out. Right. And he's, uh, I mean, look, that di- that encyclical was like 40,000 words. I can't imagine anyone. And you get to paragraph after paragraph that just rambles on and on and says absolutely nothing. Yeah. Almost he's the whole document that. does. Um, and... But it does say something. It says something in spirit anyway. Mm-hmm. So in spirit, the document's definitely in error. But in the words, if you take these words and, and, and pound it out and say, what does this actually mean? You find out that it either doesn't mean anything or it's a pronouncement against flying penguins, which <laughs> yeah. don't exist anyway. So... What do we do with a document like that if he's an anti-pope? What happens to it? Do we just I think toss it? ignore it, yeah. Yeah, and then it's... if he's not an anti-pope, uh, some of the stuff has to be explained. At, at some, yeah, at some point, it's got to be like, okay, well, you know, this, I, that's, that's, that's one of the reasons I agree with, with Timothy Gordon. If Pope Francis is not an anti-pope or if he is not bound to at some point later be declared to have been an anti-pope then what we have is a uniquely problematic pope throughout history yeah. this, this pope presents problems for the church if he's a real pope that no other pope ever has yeah and you know i mean i'm not i'm not one of those people who think we're on the verge of world destructions. 
I'm not oh, apocalyptic. Right. I, yeah, I never I, have been. Well, I was at one time, but I'm I not. I, I was in, uh, I don't know, when Clinton was elected or something. Yeah, <laughs> back then. Kid. I was a kid then. Yeah, we didn't. <laughs> it was a long time ago. But, um, but, you know, when people point to me all these terrible political things going on, I say, well, you know, the, the stuff has happened before. Just go back to history. It's not mm-hmm. a big deal. We'll get through it. Somehow we'll get through it. Um. And I have this faith in God and in the church, and I think Jesus Christ will come back and uh, he will return because he promised he would. But the only one area that gives me a little bit of pause is the fact that we're in a very unique situation in the church. We've never had a pope uh, worshiping idols inside the Vatican. There's idolatry happening in the Vatican. This is, yeah. This is so big. It's like infinitely worse than adultery happening, for example, in yeah. the Vatican. Yeah, we've got, we've got. I mean, there's a coin, a poppy Pachamama coin, that's huge. That is so shameful. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, you know, a lot of the Pope splainers just they don't even seem to. They don't even talk about it. They just ignore things like this. So it's like, well, this is this is so much bigger than all the other bad popes that we've had, mm-hmm. and somehow this has to be explained in a different way than the uh, teaching have to be explained. Stuff like this also has to be addressed. What what happened here? How did we end up with an idolater? leading the Catholic Church. Yeah. That's, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and I, I, I can't take 2,000 years of solid linear teaching and just say, well, I can't believe it now because of this one Pope. <laughs> Obviously, there's something different here. Mm-hmm. And so I can't just throw away my Catholic faith. I have to stick with it and just, I I mean, I don't, because if I did, if I said Pope Francis is the Pope and he is teaching against what we know to be true, then I, I, I don't know what to do after that. Okay, so now I don't believe in the Catholic Church because obviously they can err, but what now? I don't, is, is there well, no know, church that's, then? That's, that's why I there's like, no, there's nowhere to go. I like how Timothy Gordon has has explained even stuff like this, even 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 as as far as the teachings, um, it's it's um, you know uh, uh, unless it falls into the category of ex cathedra ex cathedra definition, yeah. um, it's something that you have to give history time to work out. And so, for example, a pope might bring out teachings in say encyclicals or even by editing the uh catechism or something like that but then over the next couple of papacies it drops out of use gets put back you know it's like okay so it was kind of like a blip in in papal uh maybe faithfulness papal attentiveness to tradition whatever it was but the church at large smoothed it out and 
kind of let that go and and it didn't survive historically. And so that's right. the thing is you wait to see whether whether it's going to survive historically. So for example, throughout the the church you can see even bishops, I mean look at, you know, the the Arianism, right, you know, teaching very wrong things. But if you look at the history of the church, there's like kinks along the way but they always self-corrected, you know, to, to that linearity that you were talking about. There's never a point where you can say, okay, the church taught this and then it changed direction. And now today we're on the new direction. There's, there's never a point anywhere in history that is sort of, uh, the equivalent of like the Mormon church used to teach blacks are inferior. And then in 1980 something or other, they changed, you know, they came out. Right. With the teaching, well, God changed his mind, basically, yeah. is what they said. So there, that doesn't exist in the Catholic Church. And that's that's the most important part of the Catholic Church. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's why, how you know the Catholic Church is true. That's why the, the, the argument, well, this is just idiotic conspiracy theories and not giving any air to the discussion is idiotic. It's like, right. wait a minute, we no, got to... There's something here to discuss and to figure out. It's just that it, I guess it's just not on our part. However, when we're sitting around talking, or even if we're in a podcast, there's nothing wrong with discussing the possibilities of what right. might be what. I mean, right. That's it's not. I'm not driving any way one from the church if I came out and said I believe he's an anti-pope because it. If he was or isn't, or I, it doesn't matter. We still have to do the same thing we did yesterday. That doesn't give us permission to go to SSPX. Or even, let's say, yeah, or, I mean, anybody that you would drive out of the church. I mean, let's, let's suppose you've got somebody who's in the church because they think of, you know, all the wonderful things of, that, that are, uh, you know, coming down from Pope Francis and the church is going to change its teaching on this, that, or the other, you know, human sexuality and so on and so forth. Right. And you, you convince them, well, he's actually an Eddie Pope. He's, he's, in a, and his stuff's going to be erased. And then they say, what? You mean the church really isn't going to change their teaching? Well, doggone, I guess I'm going to go leave the church then and go somewhere where, uh, I can believe all this, you know, nonsense. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, have you really driven somebody outside the church? No, because they never were really in the church to begin with. Right. Well, I think the accusations from the EWTN crowd is that it drives people to either the uh, Orthodox churches oh, or, or SSPX. to SSPX, and I just don't—I don't hold to that argument. Well, I, don't buy that I mean, at all. it's. It, I it, think it, the failure to engage the argument will do that. Yeah, yeah. Because if, because if you fail to, if you become a bunch of Pope splainers. It's it it increases that sense of oh see they're just circling the wagons there's something really up here I need to get out of here yeah yeah and it's it's not the way to handle it and it it's just now I mean I think most people a month ago would not have known that there's a group of people who claim Pope Francis is not the Pope right um. It's just now coming to surface to where, unless you're an inside Catholic, you wouldn't have known it before. But it's it's good that the discussion is happening. We've never had the discussion. Um, I guess 
We, I guess because never, it wouldn't. We it never wouldn't had affect. it in private either. Right. I mean, we're talking about it for the first time, and even though we talk about a lot of stuff privately, this really hasn't come up between us. I don't know about like you and yeah. Jason and stuff, but no, we haven't really talked about it, and it's, and I think it's because we don't. We know we don't have the answer anyway. Yeah. And so as I said in the works. beginning here, we're not going to come up with an answer because we're not cardinals. Right. And we can't come up with an answer. And only the church can. And all we can do is just kind of, you know, theorize about it. That's really all it is. Right. It it would explain some things, but those things that need explaining will eventually get explained by history. Yeah. Whether it involves him being a non-pope or not. Yeah, which it it sucks for us. <laughs> yeah, because we have to go through this and still try to convince people that this is God's church. Yeah, I know we got a bad guy at the top. I know he's evil, but this is still God's church, and that's a tough sell, especially only, with what our bishops well, are doing. I mean, it's one thing. Like, think of like like sinful popes in the past it's like okay yeah i got to convince you that it's god's church or think of like the the sex the priest uh you yeah. know the, the homosex scandal in the priesthood um yeah it i got to convince you that it's still god's church even though there's a lot of evil in it but now i got to convince you that it's god's church and i've got to convince you that god's church doesn't teach these things that it looks like the top guy is saying yeah, Which yeah, that's is, it, that's the. It's hard almost sell. impossible. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't start out with the faith, if if you're not a cradle Catholic, um, it's pretty tough. I mean, yeah. why would you enter into something like this? And then, even if you are a cradle Catholic, um, it's it's a tough sell. It's mm-hmm. just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You need some kind of I think supernatural grace to be able to withstand this. Yeah. And I, I go to bed every night praying that I will have that grace and that my kids will either obtain it or keep it mm-hmm. because it's a, it's such a hard thing for anyone. Any right thinking person would have a problem with this and it's ignoring it is not the answer. Yeah. I we guess gotta, that's, we got to talk about it to, to, th- to to think that there that you don't need to explain it that it doesn't I mean you personally don't need to explain it okay but to think that it isn't something that needs explaining is to just put your head in the sand yeah and and, and dangerously yeah because there are going to be other people that you ought to be helping to either evangelize or raise if if you've got kids um, that you've got to be ready to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Because they're going to hear about it eventually, or they're going to notice it. And it's like, hey, yeah. how come Pope Francis is saying one thing, and it's completely opposite what the church said before? And it's, yeah, it's got to be talked about. And you should have some kind of explanation ready. And to just ignore it, just, it, it makes the problem so much worse. Because... You feel like, am I the only one seeing this? You know? Mm-hmm. Right. You, you feel awfully alone when you're the only one who's willing to, 
to talk about it. And I'm, I'm glad it's finally starting to be talked about. Um, even if it makes the EWTN crowd look kind of stupid. Um, right. I would rather them not look stupid, but if this is the way it has to be, then this is the way it has to be. And the, the, the podcasters who aren't under the control of bishops, maybe they're going to start dominating Catholic media in a way that has never happened before. But I guess, again, you know, you've said it several times, God writes with history. And <laughs> this right. is just, this is part of the narrative. We don't it's know how chapter. it's going to end up. Mm-hmm. It's a, I guess you could call this a climax. It's a, but, yeah, certainly a climactic chapter. Uh, and, you know, it, it may end up being a bit of a cliffhanger cha- chapter, too. I mean, depending on, on exactly where things stand when... Yeah. Because uh, people are saying from inside the Vatican, there's rumors uh, that, you know, Pope Francis is in poor health. He may not last another year and so on and so forth. We can only hope. <laughs> yeah. I don't wish the man's death, but I, I do wish his... Let's say I, I wish his current... I wish he wasn't Pope. His current embodiment of the papacy, I wish out of the papacy. Now, yeah. whether that comes by a conversion, which would be like the awesomest uh, resolution... Yeah, that would be cool. Or, or his death, or his decision to resign, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, somehow or other. Yeah. Um, okay. Do we... Do we have a whole lot more to say here? I don't think on this subject. I, you know, I, I think that's the main point is that we're trying to to point out that that it's an important topic, but it's a topic that you have to be patient about. It's it's a topic to acknowledge, even though you're not going to be able to resolve it possibly in your own lifetime. Yeah, and it it it's important to at least acknowledge it so that you know you know that it's said explicitly you can state it there explicitly it will eventually get resolved by history uh it it's not a cause to leave the church yeah yeah i thought we would i thought we'd have like two hours of discussion just on that but oh. <laughs> we don't yeah i guess, i mean bit, i uh, guess you can't say much more after that yeah um well then let's get to news so, let me move the mic out of the way. Um, oh, I had my uh, my OneNote on the wrong page. Mm-hmm. So, the Ottawa police makes 100 arrests to the Freedom of Canada people, the truckers. Um, let's see, by, I guess by now, over 170 people have been arrested in Ottawa. Uh, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, revokes the state of emergency that was declared earlier. Uh, he had declared it on the 14th, but I guess it, I don't know what, so is the emergency over or was there never an emergency? I'm not real sure, but, um, I guess the protests are winding down, but I think, I, I don't know what, I, I really think like things things happen, and I think it's one of those cases where it's like, let them come in, let them make a big stink, uh, don't arrest anyone, 
But when they go back to work, they're still going to be dealing with the same problems. You know, I feel sorry for these people. Oh, man. Because I don't... I have a feeling nothing actually too. changed. Yeah. Um, Timothy LeDuc becomes the first openly non-binary athlete to compete at the Winter Olympics. As what? A figure skater. No, I mean, as what? I don't know. Male figure skating? They, female figure? What? What is the... I mean, what category? That's because the what, Olympics has male-female sports. Yeah, and he's a partner. I guess, I guess he he's sometimes a girl and sometimes a boy. He's skating as a boy because his skating partner is Ashley something or other in the United States, okay. and so he's so sometimes like a, a girl. But he's yeah, and he's skating as a man, even though he's saying that he's not always a man. Did you ever see the movie Blades of Glory? I did see it a long time ago. I, <laughs> it was it's a it's stupid, stupid movie. I do yeah. not recommend anybody to watch it. Um, I, I, guess, I mean, I guess if you like uh, Will Ferrell humor, maybe yeah. you'll find it funny. Um, it was it had funny lines. In it. it had some it funny was just, parts. It was so raunchy, and it it was raunchy, but it was a funny premise too. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the setup was was kind of humorous, but um, anyway, that this reminds me of that. But the thing is, the movie was meant to be like absolutely like over the top, off the charts, you know, stupid in its premise, and it's like we're edge, you're, we're getting we closer and closer yeah. to a world in which that movie isn't so stupid. Yeah, strange. So. Okay, uh, over the past week, we have Germany... I thought they had already suspended the Nord Stream 2 project, which is the, the pipeline for oil between Russia and Germany. Through, I thought that had already been... Yeah. yeah. Um, but apparently, they're saying now that they're going to suspend it again. But I, I thought it already was suspended. But... Uh, okay. See, two areas of Ukraine have already declared themselves uh, as part of Russia. Uh, well, I don't even know. The, the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic, they're calling themselves independent states, not part of Ukraine. But the big thing there is that they want to join with Russia. Right. So I guess what they did is said, we are... Uh, independent states now and then I guess their next step is to allow Russia to to join Russia I guess um, US Secretary of Defense sends a bunch of battle tanks to Poland um, and uh, Kamala Harris warns that will uh, impose more sanctions if Russia attacks Ukraine again much of Ukraine isn't going to be attacked. They're going to revolt against Ukraine in order From to join within. Russia. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, now, didn't Russia just kind of like start invading the some of the edges of Ukraine today? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm building to. Oh, okay. Sorry. 
I'm going through the week because I go right. through the week at the beginning or towards the end. I see. And then uh, there's a meeting, and um, President Biden canceled his holiday plans. I don't President's Day. Oh, okay. He had plans for President's Day, and he canceled those because of this looming attack of you of oh. Russia against the Ukraine. Right. Um, the European Union said it's prepared to issue sanctions against Russia if it doesn't, if Russia recognizes those states that had broken off from Ukraine, if Russia recognizes them as states separated from Ukraine, they will impose sanctions on Russia. Oh, okay. Just for recognizing um, them. Yeah. And so, uh, finally, today, Russia begins its invasion. Um, now, where exactly is did the invasion occur? Was it was it like down like like in the area just north of Crimea or um, Russian troops enter? Well, first of all, they took the Chernobyl exclusion zone. They actually have captured that the okay. the whole Chernobyl. Uh, yeah. Chernobyl. I can't say it. Yeah. Um, so they have that. I don't know why they'd want it, but they have Chernobyl back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> uh, there's a, a couple islands like Snake Island. Uh, this is... Let me see if I can find where that is. Snake Island. Let me find out where I was now. I got lost. Um, Sumy, S-U-M-Y... Uh, is in northeastern Ukraine, uh, in the Oblast region. Antonov Airport. This is in Hostomel Airport, also known as Hostomel Airport. Uh, is is a northwestern suburb of Kiev, and oh, okay. Kiev is that's the capital of Ukraine, right? Is it really Kiev? Yeah. Okay, so this is that's like a main part, you know. Yeah. Um, they're they're in full force, and it reading from the news, it, it looks like they're just taking one city after another, and they're not getting a whole lot of fighting. I mean, there is some fighting and there's some killing, but but you know, here's it the seems thing. like Ukraine is such a corrupt country. I mean, this is why the Bidens were were so involved in Ukraine. Yeah, and, you know, for their own money making because Ukraine is such a corrupt country. So the people who don't like corruption, generally speaking, the the masses of people don't like corruption. They think that becoming part of Russia is going to help them put an end to the petty corruption of their various local officials and stuff like that. It's like, okay, right. now we're going to be part of the Russian system. And in fact, Russia actually did, you know, they have implemented some things that that vastly undercut the ability of local officials to engage in corrupt practices within Russia. So yeah. it's probably far, far more prevalent in Ukraine than it is in Russia right now. People know that. They see that. That's part of the motivation of these people who want in Ukraine to to be part of Russia. Yeah. And I, I, I would liken it to Puerto Rico. Um, a lot of people living in Puerto Rico know how corrupt it is and want U.S. to 
come in and be one of our states. Oh, so, like, if because, we gave them statehood, then... But, yeah. But maybe there would be people who would fight against that, and we would have a little bit of a battle. Yeah. It would be like some people try to take over the Capitol and say, no, we're not going to be a part of the U.S. And the so is, we no. send in the military to, to take care of that. So... It's kind of weird in the case of of uh, Puerto Rico, though, because they're already a territory. I mean, it's yeah, land technically yeah. owned by the United States and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> I know. I did, like, that's the closest thing I can come yeah, up to. But exactly, it's just there were people. The who point were is, be, yeah, against it. Yeah, and so there are people in Ukraine. I, heck, you know, in the Western territories of the United States before they became states. There were probably people who were against statehood. Yeah, Why? they didn't. They didn't want because to they got to practice their lawless corruption. Yeah, and it, you know, in all fairness, uh, Russian rule would put an end to some of this corruption. Yeah, it would. It would cause other problems, but it right. would put an end to some of it. And so, you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to get involved. Yeah, I don't so. think Other anything's than, gonna like, I, sanctions and stuff like that. You know, kind yeah, of sort we're of gonna stuff. have sanctions, but I don't, I don't think we're gonna fight, and I think we're gonna see. I don't think this is gonna be a long drawn out war. Uh, the only the big part of this, which we pointed out last uh, podcast, is that it opens most of Europe up to Russia, yeah. and if now Russia's if he's on everybody's in, border. Yeah, and if he if he's if his plan is to kind of rebuild the USSR to start taking these nations one at a time, for example, Poland, um, well, then there is a genuine problem here, and I can see why the Europeans do not want Ukraine to fall. But I don't know what to say. Ukraine had it shot, and they were so corrupt they couldn't they couldn't uh, keep it. You know, this right. is what happens in. When there's that much corruption, the nation falls. The same way the U.S. can't keep surviving the way it is right now. There's so much corruption, it's going to fall. The more corruption there is within a nation, the closer it gets to falling. And look at all these socialist nations. You know, uh, the the one that just recently uh, fell. And is now kind of lawless. Um, I can't think of the name of the. This is a big socialist nation that we always talk about down in South America. Oh, because with the V. Uh, Venezuela. Venezuela. Yeah. yeah. The, I mean, Hugo Chavez and, and those guys. Yeah, and I, I think uh, Mexico's heading towards something because the whole nation is just corrupt. It, it, it's either run by corrupt politicians or it's run by gangs so that can't last forever or things split up more into tribal type uh you know entities where it's Mm -hmm. like i don't know states maybe break off to become their own nations i don't know but this this kind of corruption can't go on forever something happens because that's what happens so i don't know you know in the case of russia i we knew it was coming and now it's here and i don't think we're going to do anything I don't think we're going to... I sure hope we don't. We have no business fighting over there. Well, you know, there's something that we can do 
if we could get the Pope on board. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, unlike China, you know, Our Lady has expressed a, a desire to show favor to Russia. Now, okay, I, I've listened to Jimmy Atkins. Uh, he had a podcast about the uh, Third Secret, and he said that when asked, uh, what's her name? Lucia. The, uh, Lucia said that the Pope did fulfill Mary's desires of consecrating Russia, even though he didn't consecrate Russia, he consecrated all the world, which, but I, I don't know how much of that I accept because that's what we were told by the Vatican. Yeah, I don't think I, there's an actual quote from her saying this. Right. And also, she could be saying that out of obedience. Well, no, she couldn't lie. She wouldn't well, lie out of obedience. She wouldn't lie, but, I mean, she's cloistered. Yeah, it's she doesn't like, know. It's not like people talk to her directly and, and stuff like Anything that we hear so, so-called from her is yeah. so-called. you got to take everything that, that you, you know, that, that she... Sp- in theory says or that somebody reports that she says or you gotta take that with a grain of salt yeah and not only that I don't I don't think she claims that Mary still talks to her no Mm-mm. so no. Mary's not coming to her and saying yeah they did it good job yeah I don't I don't think right that's so no no, no. I, I think you're right so, so like somebody might have gone to her and said hey the Pope now consecrated Russia to Mary's heart did, did he is that what she asked for oh yeah okay oh, oh great see? Yeah. yeah exactly so who knows what exactly the conversation was I, I don't think we can take that to mean anything at all particular right I kind of now I, his mm-hmm. point was that the church was outlawed in Russia for years yes and that it's not outlawed now which would indicate right. that this did fulfill uh, what Mary wanted to happen. But I don't know, because she said Russia would be converted. Not that I think it's going to become a Catholic state, but... Um, I think it's. I think it will eventually. It will become, I think, the, the... I mean, it's heavily Russian Orthodox, and right now the Russian Orthodox is... It's kind of a state religion. Yeah. I think that will eventually be reunited to the church. Yeah. As, as Russian Orthodox, but Russian Orthodox will then be kind of like one of the Catholic Orthodox, you know, patriarchies. Yeah. Now, as for how that fits in with the third secret, uh, the yeah, second secret, I don't know. But anyway, my but point you're is... You're right. What the church... The, somebody could do something about right. Russia. You, you see Russia getting bold, and you see China getting bold, and it's like, okay, between Russia and China, who do I want to see, you know, strategically yeah. working out, you know, working smarter? Well, it's Russia. Yeah. Well, I, I know this is weird, but... That's really the only news I have. Okay. Well, somebody sent me a piece. Actually, this could just be like interpretive journalism, but Mm -hmm. there's a couple of church militant articles. One of them says the CDC is hiding the truth. 
in the interest of preventing misinformation, which is kind of weird. Doesn't surprise me if that's what they're doing. But the other one is about, uh, so the Vatican's Pontifical Academy for Life features a priest who justifies euthanasia and a woman who believes in sodomy and abortion. It's like, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I don't, it did, have you seen anything about that? I don't. Um, I didn't actually, uh, Timothy Gordon just released a podcast about the, uh, I think it was like 101 outrages of Pope Francis. Oh, okay. This would be one of and them. It was it was included in in the in his first he's got it split up into two different uh, the first fifty and the next fifty one and it is included in there yeah he did do that it's it's just it's disgusting wow and it's it's more but it's more of the same with Pope Francis yeah yeah it's kind of par for the course that we've uh, come to expect and this is. This is the kind of thing you would expect from a false pope. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. That's right. That's right. I don't know if he's a false pope, but this is what you would expect from a false pope. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got a few nonsense stories. Um, Yeah, gosh. Yeah, the Russian Russian invading Ukraine. I mean, depending on how that pans out, you know, it could turn into a fizzle. It could just become a new reality. All those those European countries now border Russia, and I know yeah. they would prefer not to, um, but, but you know it, it could just become a new reality, or it could become World War Three. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. Okay. Nonsense. Uh, okay. Dumb luck can come from just about anywhere. A woman in Maryland uses her license plate number and she ended up winning $25,000 in the lottery. Well, you know, if you play the same number again and again, eventually you're bound to win something, aren't you? Sometimes. Hope she uses the money for something decent. Yeah. Pay pay for her kid's college or something like that. Or pay for her kid to not go to college. (laughs) Yeah, nowadays it's like, well, we won this money. You don't need to go to college. You can do something else. Start a business or something like that. In America, that's the cool thing, is if you have a, a wad of cash, yeah. you could go to college, and then you could start a career, or you could start a business and start much more than a career. And hire you know? people who went to college. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, well, I'll hire a bunch of idiots. That's right. So, um, so you remember growing up, uh, and if we, you know, liked the food that mom made for dinner, we tended to scarf it down and mom would say, don't inhale your food. Yeah. Well, doctors at a New York hospital, uh, were examining a man complaining of difficulty breathing. Um, they thought that, you know, maybe he had a deviated septum or something like that. Turns out that. Uh, he had a tooth growing in his navel cavity. His nasal cavity, a, not navel. A nasal. tooth? A tooth growing up up inside his nose. Wow. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he had food in his nose. <laughs> no. <laughs> They've got an x-ray. Growing? The news story has wow. an x-ray. It's like, well, okay, yeah, that really is a tooth growing up into his, navel, his uh, nasal cavity. Yeah. 
I must have I remember buttons on the brain. I keep saying nasal cat or navel cavity. <laughs> I remember eating at I I was taking a break at work and I, I worked at Blockbuster. I go over to Hardee's and eat real quick. And you had to you had to inhale because you only got so much time. Yeah. So I inhaled my food, but I had coughed at some point in the middle of trying to and swallow. And it went <laughs> out your nose. Well, I, no, it didn't. Oh, really? I just I it, it it I choked on it for a while, and mm-hmm. then later on, I kept feeling this weird sensation in my nasal cavity. Oh. And finally, I. Uh, blew my nose just as hard as I possibly could, and like a two-inch long French fry came out. <laughs> That's funny. So I, I mean, I was walking around like that for a while, but. Uh, it was the it was the worst. That's that's awful. I don't ever want that to happen again. I hope it doesn't no. happen to anyone else. No. Well, you know, a buddy of mine in, in college was uh, um, telling me about this this group of, um, and, and he was just trying to. His only point was was to say kind of like how um, how crazy, uh, you know, tough isn't. The, quite the right word, but but you know they they just have a different approach to you know things physical and their bodies and that kind of stuff. Navy SEALs, okay. And he said yeah. there were a group of these guys at a bar, and one of them took the chain uh, from his dog tags and stuffed it up one nostril and got it worked around to where it was coming out the other nostril. It was like zipping it back and forth through his nasal cap. There's yeah, his na- really nasal weird. cavity. Yeah, that is completely weird. You know, uh, our cousin, God rest his soul, Bill Ginley. Yeah. When I was talking about, because I've always had sinus problems, he suggested I take a string, a a yarn, Mm -hmm. and swallow it and cough it up through my nose so that part of it's in my mouth and it's coming out my nose, and then I just... String it along, and that will remove all the garbage in my nasal cavity. And he told me he did he's, this. He's probably right. I, he he's probably, probably did. Right. If you yeah. can figure out how to do it, I could uh, never do that. It well, would. <laughs> it would make me throw up. I think. I, probably. I. You know. <laughs> he was. I was. I. One time when he came back, he was in the navy for a little, just a brief stint. Um, yeah. And and he was, you know, back home on leave. I don't know if it was between basic and 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 his actual deployment or what it was, but he was back and he had this girlfriend. His, her name was Kathy, and and we were hanging out because, you know, we used to be buddies growing up, and so you know when he'd be in town, I, we would always try to find some some way to hang out. But Kath, mm-hmm. Kathy was with us, and we went back to his mom's apartment. Um, and she wasn't home for the the evening or whatever, but we were watching a movie or something. But anyway, um, I was um, I think I you know got up to go to the bathroom or something like that. Anyway, while I was gone, I'm hearing them like giggling about something and going on and on about it. So I finally came back into the living room, uh, and he says, "Hey, Danny, you got to watch this." Um, and he. What they were doing, like, to each other was, like, they would, let's see, how did they do, they would, like, 
put their mouth over, one of them will put his mouth over the other's nose and blow into it. And it would make this weird gurgling sign sound blowing the air through the nose and, and back out the mouth or something like that. It's so weird. Maybe blowing smoke through each other's noses and mouths. Yeah. That is weird. <laughs> I remember Kathy. She was cute. Yeah. Yeah. And she was uh, probably a good girlfriend, too. You know, if he could have. I, I think she eventually yeah. ended up breaking up with him because he didn't. She, she was good girlfriend material, but. You know, like you said, he God rest his soul, he didn't stay yeah. good boyfriend material. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next. Uh, okay. This is just kind of one of those cool things in nature. Um, in New Zealand, they, they've got this ghost shark that they discovered off the, the South Island. South Island. I guess South Island is a particular island. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's only days old when they found it. Uh, but it's actually a chimera, um, which is a, a, chimera, a chimera is an animal that is part one animal and part another animal. But it's not like the two animals combined at the DNA level. It's like some of their cells are from one set of DNA and other of their cells are a different set of DNA within the really? same animal. Yeah. Well, that's weird. That is really weird. It's like, you know, I mean, you know, you've got the mythical chimeras like like the griffin, which is like, what is it, like lion and eagle and, and I don't know, something else. But um, but there are real but chimeras real in nature. Thing. Really? And I guess this, this ghost shark is one of them. Uh, yeah, if you look up pictures of ghost shark, uh, that is a really odd looking animal. Mm-hmm. But what... Super rare. What... Yeah. But they found a baby one in New Zealand. Huh. I, I, the, the picture of it is on a slab, so I guess they didn't let it, they didn't try to keep it alive or whatever. Right. Or maybe it just died when they caught yeah, it, yeah. you know. Right. They caught it dead. So. But I, I'm seeing some of the bigger pictures of them, uh, maybe two, two feet long there. And, uh, it is a very strange looking animal. And oh my gosh! If you can, you can see what they call find one shark. with the eyes opened, it's like a zombie eye- shark, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like the possum of this of the ocean. You oh, know? somebody made a movie They're, called Ghost Shark. I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, if if there were a big one, and I don't think they get very big, mm-hmm. but if there were a big one, that would be one scary fish. Yeah, <laughs> I can. I can see making a movie about those. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, Ghost Shark. Yeah, just like one of those, you know, it happens in nature once in a while, and it's kind of weird and and in some ways creepy, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Final item. So, this, uh, so the, the headline is, Religious Artwork Was Removed After Local Priest and Businessmen Were Found Among the Holy Images. So the image featured the head of the charity which commissioned the painting of St. Sabinus or Sabinus uh, meeting St. Benedict. It costs about 17,000 euros uh, and it also featured the priest who runs the cathedral. So I guess it's this painting of St. Benedict meeting this other saint or this other saint meeting St. Benedict and then it Mm -hmm. happens to have these two uh, people in it. But the thing is, it's like... 
Is this a whether a, I mean an the old painting or no no a new no no one? this 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 uh, I think this was commissioned like like recently maybe in the last year or something like that. Okay, so I'm looking at this painting. It looks kind of weird because the guy's wearing a is mask. That dude wearing a mask. I I would That's have so dumb. I would have said get that painting out of here just because of the guy wearing the mask. Yeah. But I mean, that's who, not where we're at. No, they did it because the the faces happen to be the priest and the the head of the um, the charity. The, the, you know. Okay. Okay. I guess I guess the guy with the mask is the boss of the charity, and and he commissioned the artwork, and I and they put him in. But also the priest who runs the cathedral, he's the one hiding behind the cross. Um, hiding be. Oh, okay. The crucifix. So he's he didn't holding want it up to... over his face. So maybe they didn't want their full faces shown right. in the painting. And that's why one guy has a mask and one guy's hiding behind the cross. But you know what? And take take the part. Just don't don't get rid of the whole painting if the rest of it's good. And you know, the thing is, as far as you could modern, crop it out. Yeah. modern Catholic art goes, it's not it's, bad. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's think of some nice. of the crap that's been coming out these days. So just oh, kind tell of, me about it. Just if I mean, I would definitely get rid of the mask, but just kind of crop it out. Don't get rid of the yeah. whole painting. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I'll put a, uh, I'll steal a copy of it and put it on the website. Yeah, there you um, go. I wonder who actually painted it. I wonder if it says. Hold on, it painted, it I don't understand this the ribbon. Cathedral. It caused controversy, blah, blah, blah. The artist wanted to portray two authoritative representatives of the community. Okay, so good intent. Yeah. Okay. Giuseppe Antonio Lomuscio. L-O-M-U-S-C-I-O. I don't know how to pronounce that last name. Lomuscio, Lomuscio. But Giuseppe Antonio yeah. Lomuscio, or Lomuscio, he's the artist. Um... And so it says as as it's going to be revised. Like, Are on. they? Uh, I hope he does more art, religious art, because yeah. he's actually pretty good. Oh, okay. During the process, they had asked not to be portrayed. Oh, so that he was probably that. had okay. them. He probably had them there, and they were complaining about it. So he hid one behind the cross and put, a, put mask a mask on the other that one. Makes sense. Okay. And there's like, well, there now you're not portrayed. But they still uh, like they're it. angry about it, so <clears throat> he's saying he'll revise it. But it is, I would admit, it's a great work of I art. Like, I like the art. <laughs> I hope he does more stuff, Catholic stuff. Uh, the The men look manly, yeah. and the women look feminine, and it, uh, it it it's a good work of art. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is good. It's a shame that there's not more like that. You're right because. I don't know. We've you you see the crap going in at the Vatican right now, which more to me is more evidence of a. Uh, That's right. Anti, I don't know what, the whole anti-pope, false thing. pope, anti-pope, <laughs> heretical pope, whatever you want to call it. You know, one thing we didn't discuss. One of the podcasters out there are saying that one of the saints said that if a heretical pope asks you to do something, you don't have to listen to him. But I look. Oh, that's like Saint Bellarmine. We didn't address this. Yeah, he's yeah. He's the one that said if he is a formal heretic, he would by that fact cease to be Catholic and therefore 
cease to be Pope. But that still goes to your point that we don't ever have the um, competency to declare him a formal heretic. Only the church can do that at some point, according to, you know, whatever, you know, whether it's a council or, or what we can't do that and make that decision on our own. And during his pontificate, the only things you don't have to obey are the things he tells you to do that are wrong, that are contrary to... Oh, right, uh, right. I mean, you can't... If he tells you... He, I, I guess... If he tells bishops to start blessing gay marriages, okay, well, they... they, they obviously, they don't have to do that. that. Right. Right. But, so, um, he hasn't told us to do that yet, though. Right. He hasn't told us to do anything specifically sinful. So, we do have to obey him as far as we would obey a pope. Right. But that that's um, a good point. Yeah. I, I forgot to bring that up during the uh, earlier portion of the podcast. But uh, is that your last? That is my last one. one. I have nothing else. Okay. I do have a saint. Oh, cool. Saint uh, Erasmus of Formia, also known as Saint Elmo. Um, he was... He was back during the Diocletian uh, persecution. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess apparently, you know, in the empire was divided east and west, and there were two emperors: one of the east, one of the west. Both Diocletian and Maximian Hercules. Okay. Um, this guy was in Formia, part of Italy, and. He left his diocese during the persecution and hid for seven years. But an angel came to him and said, go back to your city. Well, while he's on his way to his city to be the bishop of uh, Formia, some soldiers found him and questioned him and found out he was a uh, Christian. So they brought him before Diocletian. Uh, He was tortured. They poured melted lead, melted tar, and sulfur on him. And throughout the time, uh, Erasmus uh, thanks God and chants the Psalms. Um, Finally, he's brought to a temple. uh, But every time he looks at an idol, they crumble and fall to the ground. (laughs) Wow. And... The, uh, see, I think here there are more than one legends mm-hmm. that got split up into two legends. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But he has an angel helps him escape. Right. Uh, the emperor had fled the area because he, there was an earthquake and he thought the earthquake was because Erasmus was, uh, blaspheming the gods. But they put him back in prison. An angel comes and helps him escape. He ends up in uh, Lycia, another part of Italy, I think. Um, and he sees a man named Anastasius burying his son, or I guess part of a funeral procession or something. Right. And uh, he is told by an angel to raise the son from the dead. So he goes and talks to Anastasius. And Estasius says, well, yeah, if, if 
if your God would bring my son back to me, I'll convert and my whole household will convert. So uh, Erasmus prays over the boy and the boy is alive. Wow. So in that town are 40,000 people who convert to the faith. And he stays there for seven years teaching and blessing them. But then uh, the emperor Maximian finds him. This is I. This is where I think maybe there's some confusion in the legend. Why there's two? Uh, I I don't know the history of Rome. Were Maximian and Diocletian both uh, emperors at the same time? I don't know if that's real. But in the story, Maximian uh, arrests him and demands that he sacrifice to the Roman gods. Uh, Erasmus says, "Show me these real gods." So they take him to the temple of Jupiter. There's a bronze statue about 20 feet high of Jupiter. And uh, Erasmus comes up to it and prays in front of it. And the statue statue crumbles. Okay. By the way, Maximian is the successor of Diocletian. Okay. So I guess this is between the two. Uh, because the way uh, Wikipedia has it listed is wrong. Oh, okay. Um, they've got Diocletian 284 to 305 and Maximian Hercules from 286 to 305. I think they messed up when they... That's that's not how it's listed in the rest of uh, Wikipedia. I'm just talking about when it talks about uh, St. Erasmus oh. of Formio. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. Well, wait, those are the lifetimes, maybe. Uh, no, know. no, no. So so Wikipedia has Diocletian's solo reign from 284 to 286 and co-reign 286 oh, okay. to 305 uh, with um, Maximian co uh It just says, you know, reign to 286 to 305. Yeah. In the West with Diocletian in the East. So Maximian... In the West, okay. Diocletian in the East. Initially, Diocletian well, was right. through the whole empire, but then um, it he ended up co-reigning yeah. with me. Okay, so that's how it works out. Okay, so it it, it is right. Uh, as far as the next part of the story, uh, the legend is that a giant lizard creeps out of the dust that was the statue of Jupiter and kills a third of the people there. Wow. Uh, the rest of them run to Erasmus and ask him to help them, save them from this lizard, which he does. Uh, Maximian rides off angry and, uh, Erasmus, or Erasmus continues to stay there blessing the people and converting people and converts more people to the faith. Um, Maximian finds out that he's still in the city and still converting people and orders all Christians to be slaughtered. Uh, his soldiers come in and kill 330 men. Uh, you know, 330 people. I don't know if they're all men. Oh, right. But uh, Erasmus has a vision of the angels in heaven receiving these 330 people and Erasmus is told that these 330 people are going to heaven to prepare a place specifically for him in heaven uh, and not to be afraid. <coughs> uh, Maximian once again arrests uh, Erasmus. 
and I guess they've got this bronze tunic, which had been uh, a burning bronze tunic. So I guess it's a tunic. Oh, okay, like heated with like thread of bronze, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and tells him that they're gonna they're gonna put it over him. And Erasmus uh, says, uh, "You know what? I'm not scared." He's singing Psalm 56 and Wisdom 3, and he picks up the tunic and wraps it around himself. Uh, the tunic becomes cold immediately. Um, the people are shouting that this Christian God must be great, but Maximian is shouting that this is just magic. Uh, Maximian prepares a great big pot of melted lead and melted tar and is threatening to throw Erasmus into it. But Armorismus, I don't know if he got like walks into it or jumps in like in a cannonball or something. But <laughs> the the melted lead splatters onto Maximian, and Maximian actually asks uh, Erasmus to to help him, and Erasmus prays for him, and Maximian's uh, suffering stops. He throws Erasmus into a cell. And uh, Erasmus once again escapes by the help of an angel and is taken back to Formia, where he teaches the people there for a while until he dies. Uh, he's considered a martyr, but at his death in Formia, there's no mention of how he dies. Oh, uh-huh. So, I don't... The story... It depends on where you're looking to exactly how he died. You know what I mean? Right. There, there's nothing real solid on here. Most of this is legend, but it's a pretty neat saint. And again, he's also known as Saint Elmo. Now, uh, he is the patron of, among other things, sailors. Mm-hmm. And when a sailor's, uh, sails are flapping around, they tend to generate static electricity and weird sparks come from them. And if you see sparks in your sails, that's called St. Elmo's fire. And it's a sign of goodwill that St. Elmo is going to protect you on your journey. There's a um, legend. <laughs> one of the legends about how he died is that he, he was, his gut was cut open and that his intestines were wound around a uh, windlass, which is, one of those like um, uh, kind of like almost like a winch to to gather and hold fast the the rope that would that would trim a sail or something like that um, and okay that is seems to be at least connected with why he's the patron saint of sailors now where the right. word Elmo came from I have no idea did, did you find anything on that? No, I didn't find out how that translated to Elmo, but I do know they're celebrated as the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he's also uh, the patron of kids with colic and people with stomach ailments because of the legend about him having his guts, oh, you know, torn out, out yeah, and wrapped. And yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, also the le- uh, patron of women with cramps and or labor pains. Mm-hmm. And, and cattle, cattle pests with pests. For some reason. Yeah, I, I don't... 
What are cattle pests? I guess cattle with pests it's, it's, as opposed to, yeah. like he's not the patron saint cattle of pests, pests. <laughs> like lice. He's the patron saint of lice. Yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> I want my lice that's to a weird thrive. <laughs> <laughs> but even so, cattle pests, where does that fall into any part of his story? <laughs> it doesn't. I don't, were there even, there, I guess there were cattle at that time, not the sure. way we have them now, but, but um, I don't know. All right, whatever. I, I couldn't find that, but it's, it, it's a pretty neat saint. And the fact that he, uh, once again, uh, didn't, didn't put up with idolatry. He, no, no. In he, fact, he wouldn't he was, be a part of it. He was so much not a part of it that idols crumbled just at his glance. Now, yeah. he also, uh, kept up the, the tradition of these, uh, martyrs in the age of martyrs. At one point, um, Maximian had him enclosed in a barrel with protruding spikes, spikes protruding on the inside, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. and rolled down a hill. Well, an angel healed him from the wounds instead of letting him die <laughs> so that he could go on and be martyred in some other way. Yeah, that, again, see, I saw that and I forgot to insert it in my list of notes here uh, because I wasn't quite sure where it fit in with the timeline. Oh, right. But, yeah, yeah that happened. And so if... Uh, if you go back over our podcasts where we have a Saint of the Week listed, you'll see that story over and over again. And you'll also see stories of saints, especially in the first three centuries, fighting idolatry yeah. and destroying idols. It was what we did. We don't we don't allow idols to continue to exist. I don't care if they're part of history. I don't care if they're part of someone else's culture. They are a, uh, they're an affront to God. They're I mean, a blasphemy. They're, absolutely, it's, mm -hmm. it's they're like giving existence. your finger to God. You, you can't do it. It's like the golden, you have to destroy him. All the way always. back to the golden calf that the, that the Hebrews built while, while Moses was up on the mountain. What did, what did right. God have Moses make them do? Grind the gold into dust yeah they couldn't even melt it down and use it for something else it's like no eliminate this period and it's what pope francis should have done when they brought out the pachamama mm -hmm. but yeah. instead he'd allowed it to be worshipped and now there's a coin uh, based on it apparently now there's a coin based on it this this is absolutely disgusting um I, I it would be so much easier to accept this stuff if he was an anti-pope yeah um if whether he is or not, I don't know. Sense. But but we have an idolater in the Vatican, and we're going to have to deal with it eventually. So we're not dealing with it now. But I don't I don't know. I, <laughs> what do you say about that? It's like we can't just ignore the whole question of it, though. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that we can't uh, we can't answer it yet. That's all. Uh, anyway, uh, we need. The prayers and the help of Saint, Saint Elmo, Saint Elmo, or mm -hmm. Saint Erasmus of Formia, um, and that's all I got. All right, Saint Elmo, pray well, for us. Well, folks, uh, think about what we said, and hopefully, we'll see you next week. And as always, circle the beads, everyone. Bye. Bye now.
has 